A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Time to catch up with the team from Our Changing Worlds. And joining me are Alison Balance, presenter of that segment, as well as Richard Scott, the producer at This Way Up. Hi, guys. Hey, Jesse. How are you going? Hello. Good. Nice to have you in the Wellington studio. And you've been working with Simon Morton on some new episodes in the Science of Podcast series. One of the topics under scrutiny is sweat. Alison, why sweat? Well, the Science of Podcast is about taking an everyday concept and pulling it apart and really examining it and having a whole lot of fun with the science on the way. And Simon and I are both science nerds, and we're really intrigued by what science teaches us about ourselves. So we had a three-part series that we're going to do, and we were tossing around ideas amongst Richard, Simon, and I. You know, what could we do? What would be really interesting? Something that's part of everybody's everyday life. And I don't know, when sweat came up, we went, (laughs) yeah, it's just something we all do it. And we looked at each other and went, yeah, that would be really interesting to yeah, do. Great. And I guess the first couple of questions are how and why. I mean, what did you learn, Richard? Well, there's all sorts of reasons why we sweat. It's quite interesting. You do it when you're nervous, when you're stressed out, when you're sick, even when you eat spicy food. But the most common reason we sweat is for thermoregulation. Uh, that's just to cool us down, basically, when we get too hot, if we're working out or whatever. And the way we do it, it's really, really clever. We have absolutely no control over it. Our brain, the hippocampus in our brain, sorry, the hypothalamus in our brain, um, just sends out a signal to all these millions of sweat glands that we've got all over our body. It produces this salty liquid uh, that goes comes onto the surface of our skin and then it evaporates and cools us down. And I always found it a little bit difficult to get my head around this idea of evaporative thermoregulation. A really easy way to show how it works is if you just lick the back of your hand and just wave your hand around. You can immediately feel that it's cooler. So that's that's the basics. That's that's why that's how you got me doing it. You've probably got thousands of people around New Zealand doing it too. Richard's just been doing it. Yeah I've been doing it too. But that's how sweating works. Our story though it we thought it was important to get Alison and Simon sweating, obviously. So it started in a very hot room in Palmerston North. We're here in a heat chamber. We've got Alison and Simon on bikes. And the idea behind them exercising and in the heat is that we start them sweating a lot earlier and get them really sweaty so that we can measure how much they're sweating. Dr Toby Mundell, he's a lecturer at Massey University's School of Sport and Exercise. We've got a fan in the background which is blowing the heated air around the room, which is currently about 30 degrees and nearly 60% humidity. So just imagine that you're lying on a beach in Rarotonga somewhere. The plan is to get you guys to start cycling, and probably in about 10 minutes we should start to see sweat happening, certainly on your faces, on your arms, and you'll also notice that your clothing will start sticking to you. Once you've started sweating, that's when we're actually going to measure exactly how much sweat both of you are producing. And are you expecting us to sweat in different places? Would we have different sweat profiles? 
yes. So firstly, I would probably expect Alison to be sweating less than you, Simon. Generally, women sweat less than men. But yes, you sweat on a different amounts and different body parts. So high sweat areas are perhaps your face as well as your back and your chest. Low sweat areas are things like your arms and your legs and your trunk. Let's get pedalling. for a bike ride. And it was really hot in that room, I've got to say. I was just standing there with some mics, but I was sweating. Not, however, as much as Simon and Alison were on the bicycles. And, um, in fact, congratulations, I think, are in order, Alison. You only sweated about half what Simon did, as expected. Very well done. Oh, why, why thank you. Yeah, I think... Toby said I would have sweated something like, he measured it, and I sweated something like 800 mils in, in an hour, and Simon was doing two litres in an hour. And actually, I was really pleased because he said to me, oh, you're, you're very average. And I had always thought I was a really sweaty person, so it's really good to know I'm actually quite average. <laughs> Dare I ask, where is all your sweat actually coming from, Alison? Well, kind of all over. So we've got two kinds of sweat glands. This is what we found out. Ecrine. You've got about two and a half to four million of those, and they're pretty much everywhere. So when we get sweaty on places like the backs of our hands and on mm. our faces and our backs, those are the eccrine glands. And basically, that's sterile water with a few salts thrown in. And what I found fascinating was we developed these sweat glands about three million years ago. So we used to be hairy little hominids living in the jungle. <laughs> and then the climate changed. It got drier. We ended out on the savannah. We started hunting down our food and if you're wearing a thick hairy coat out in the hot midday sun in Africa um, you're going to overheat pretty quickly so we shed the hair and instead we developed all of these eccrine glands but they're not the whole story because there's also apocrine glands and those are the ones that are in our armpits and our groin and apparently even around your nipples and these ones the sweat from there includes some oily secretions and yeah it's still sterile when we sweat it out which begs the question why do we smell? Body odor is caused in part by what we eat. A few things that we eat can actually produce a little bit of metabolites. So that's like the breakdown products of what we eat. But most of it is where bacteria are drinking our sweat and then they are digesting that and it's their body waste essentially that we're smelling. So we're smelling our bacteria, not ourselves. That's Marianne Barrier of the Genomics and Microbiology Research Lab at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. So what she's saying is that we don't actually smell. No, sweat is sterile until it hits the skin surface when the microbes, those beasties that live on us, start to eat it. And specifically, those apocrine glands, well, they secrete gooey stuff. It's a bit like a smorgasbord for bacteria. You've got sebum and fats and lipids and moisture, and they, well, they eat it, and that means you smell. And Dr Armpit, a.k.a. Chris Kalawa of the University of California, San Diego, he has sniffed thousands of other people's pits. And he reckons there are more bacteria in your armpits than there are humans on this planet. So who are they? A typical armpit consists for 80% out of Corynebacterium and Staphylococci. Corynebacterium is the problematic one. They cause body odour by transforming apocrine secretion into smelly compounds, while staphylococci don't lead up to uh, underarm body odor. And if you have carinobacterium, so the bad one, he doesn't come along and he brings on along 
a whole bunch of friends uh, which cause more body odor. Now, you've spoken to Chris, Dr. Armpit, on the show before, Jesse. He's yes, working... it rings a bell. Yeah, now, it will come back to you, I assure you, because he's working on this really interesting idea, armpit transplants. It's That's all down right. to the bacteria, yeah. he says. He's, he's, worked... he's, studied, he's studied identical twins, didn't he? Yeah, and you've got to feel a bit sorry. One of them was just known as the smelly twin in the research, <laughs> which I, I always felt a bit sorry for, for that one. Yeah. But the, the idea is, yeah, that these two swin- twins, they look identical, but they smell different. One doesn't smell so good, unfortunately. And his idea, which he reckons is quite promising, is that he'll take a swab... Um, from the pleasant-smelling twin, put it under the armpit of the other of the other twin, and the other twin, the smelly twin, is going to start smelling better. And he's not a deodorant denier or anything. He still thinks we should use the stuff. Um, he just thinks we can really cut down how much we use. So um, yeah, armpit transplants—the way of the future. What do you what do you think of that, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, you you might have to approach the recipient of the armpit transplant rather delicately. Not the sort of thing you bring up on a first date. No. Anything else you learned about uh, sweat during the making of the podcasts? I became really fascinated with the expression sweating like a pig. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it got us thinking about, actually, do all animals sweat? And mm. that took us to the vet school at Massey. And the experts there offered to show us how sweaty a horse can get. And they said they could run it on a treadmill. And that felt like an offer that we really couldn't refuse. Okay, so we got the treadmill going. The treadmill going. So Chris Rogers is a senior lecturer at Massey University. He's got a special interest in equine biomechanics. Now we'll just walk and um, just get the horse limbered up and warmed up. Yes, he did say horse. And there's a pretty unusual video on the website right now if you want to have a look. Animals do sweat. In fact, I'm not aware of any mammal that doesn't sweat. But what we need to be aware of is that sweating is only one of the means by which an animal can cope with the problem of needing to lose heat. This is Nick Cave. He's Associate Professor at Massey University's Institute of Vet, Animal and Biomedical Sciences. Animals including dogs, poultry and ruminants tend to lose heat when they need to by panting. We've all heard the expression sweating like a pig, but that's actually probably not a term that we should use as somebody as a derogatory term. It may even be a term to describe someone that sweats very little. Pigs do sweat, but they are not an animal that uses sweat to efficiently lose body heat. They lose heat by evaporative loss of heat, same as what we're trying to achieve with sweating, but they do that instead, or they tend to do that through behaviours such as wallowing in waterways, wallowing in mud. At the other extreme is in fact the horse. The horse is a champion sweater. Can, on this treadmill, we can get a horse up to racing speed, and depending on the ability of the horse, that's sort of 50 to 60 kilometres an hour. So when you have a horse going that fast, it's absolutely phenomenal. Horses are the most profuse sweaters, and they can lose litres and litres of water during a competitive event. So you talk about endurance horses, we can be talking 9 to 10 litres of water that is lost during a 160-kilometre ride. So if you want to insult someone properly, you should probably say that they're sweating like a horse 
rather than sweating like a pig. <laughs> so now you know, Jason. Yeah, I'll remember that. <laughs> now, the cool thing I found out about sweat that I wanted to share, we can tend to focus on some of the negative stuff, particularly how it smells. I think it's really cool that in the future, our sweat could tell us how we're feeling and even what we're uh, tell us about our state of mind. It's because sweat's so easy to collect, we all do it. And if you can design these sensors or skin patches, you could actually measure what's in our sweat in real time and use it to diagnose diseases. That's being done already for something like cystic fibrosis. We also spoke to a really interesting lady called Professor Shalini Prasad at the University of Texas in Dallas. She's using a tiny patch um, to measure biomarkers in sweat that can show blood sugar levels, and she's using that with type 2 diabetes patients. Mm. So they can tell if they're hyperglycemic, hyperglycemic, do they need to eat, do they need an insulin injection. Um, she also said you can tell if how much alcohol someone's been drinking from their sweat and even detect the stress um, hormone cortisol. And I know there's another guy who's looking at whether you could use a sweat test to see how much stress a surgeon is under before they perform surgery, which I thought was a pretty cool idea. Yeah. So that's a lot more than I knew there was to know about sweat, and that's not even the full podcast either. Uh, What's going to come after sweat for you two? Uh, Next week we're all about the science of virtual reality, and after that, vitamin C. So Mm. we like to keep it varied. And if you do want to have a listen to the full sweat show, just search for The Science Of on the RNZ website. Cheers, Jesse. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Podcast producer Alison Balance of RNZ's Our Changing World and Richard Scott, who is the producer of Simon Morton's show, This Way Up.